Hola everyone, welcome back to First Gen Healing, a podcast on Latinx healing and awakening journeys. My name is Priscila Luna, I am your host. We're back to recording with guests and it's a fellow Latina who has a lot of good information to share with us today, but of course, first in part one, we want to hear about her story. So, hola Yvonne, ¿cómo estás? Hola, muy bien. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to, to chat and connect with you and everybody that tunes in. To start off, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your cultura, your background. Uh, we like to start from the root, from the raíz. Yes. Born and raised in San Francisco, California. And I like to say I'm super proud of the fact that I still have a 415 area code number. If you know, you know. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure they ran out of the 415, so it makes it just makes me feel like, yep, I was born and raised in San Francisco, and that's proof right there. <laughs> um, my mom is from Mexico, and my, my dad is too. My mom is from Guanajuato, and my dad is from the city of Mexico. He's a Chilango. Mm. So I grew up going to Mexico. You know, I'm sure you have engaged in conversations around, am I Mexican? Am I Mexican-American? Mm. Like, which one am I? I have always been really tied to my cultura. When I was younger, couldn't go to Mexico, so she would send my brother and I for entire summers just to hang out with the family, wow. take pictures, send ropa, mandar dinero, send money over, all that kind of stuff. So I grew up going to Mexico yeah. and would stay out there for long periods of time, um, I, specifically Guanajuato, Tarimoro, Guanajuato. And so mm. I have really fond memories of, of all of my time in Mexico. Yeah. And I'm the oldest of three, so I have a younger brother who is three years younger than me and a sister who's 10 years younger than me, so I'm the wow. oldest. Grew up with my mom and I being uh, really great partners, I would say. <laughs> I'm uh, My mom was a single mom growing up, so I like to think that for better or for worse, I kind of was a second mom to my siblings. Uh, I don't mm. think they enjoy that as much, but I'm sort of proud of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So two siblings. And then I think you mentioned your mom is or was a single mom growing up, right? She was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm assuming that that kind of placed even more weight on your shoulders, potentially, right? On, on like being that second parent. How did that or how did you experience that growing up? Was it something you were conscious of? Or was it something that you maybe came into consciousness now that you're older? I think part of me might have been conscious about it. There were a lot of, I, and I, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, really, but when you, when I was living through that, right, like my sister was maybe three, I was still in elementary or about to enter middle school, I think, uh, and I was like changing her diapers, waking up at three in the morning wow. because she wanted a, a bottle, like that kind of stuff, and then waking up and going to school early, right? Part of it felt like it was just a normal thing, like this is just the way that my life is. And yeah. I didn't really necessarily think about my life in relation to everybody else's, right? It's, it was almost like at home, this was me. And then when I went to school, that was the version of me that could be a kid. And I clung on to that so much. Like I remember mm. even when I was sick, I still wanted to go to school. When I was, I, I would have, I would get really bad nosebleeds and as a result get migraines to the point where I couldn't move, right? Like I couldn't go to school, but I would cry because I wanted to go to school. I was like, no, send me while I want to go to school. <laughs> and now that I think and look back on it, it's probably because I think school was the one place where I felt like, okay, there's expectations of me about, you know, being a good student and doing my homework and all of that. But I have a recess. I have a break. I have mm. some friends and, you know, it just felt very 
separate in that way. So I have always thought of my personal and family life as being very separate to who I am and how I show up in all these other spaces. And I think that's impacted the way that I show up now. You know, I a lot of people talk about authenticity and how do you how do you remain authentic in these spaces? Well, on top of a layer of being for the past couple of years I've been in the tech industry and if you're familiar with the tech industry, you know diversity, equity, and inclusion is a hot topic, right? And for me, I'm like, there's such a difference in who I am there, not only because of the people that I'm surrounded with and oftentimes a lack of representation, but also because I still very much hold on to that separation of family, home life, and work, career, friends. It's just... It, it's almost it was almost a way of protecting what was happening at home and what was mm. my home you brought back a memory that i don't think i had thought about that so my mom was a teacher and so she actually taught at the same school that i went to in elementary and so in wow. recess and like after school and before school i would help her with making copies and grading papers mm. so i'm just thinking like dang not i don't think i got that separation like you did you know where it's like i get to be a kid here maybe but at home it's a little bit different but i will yeah. say i didn't change diapers and do that kind of stuff so maybe that was the- <laughs> good good yeah. because it's so it's so funny now i'm the total opposite i'm like i used to love kids Kids. I used to be like, oh, I mean, not that I don't love kids, right? But now I'm like, I- I'm not trying to change no diapers. I don't want to mm. take care of no kid right now. Like, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you've already done that. Oh my gosh, we've talked about that in the in the podcast because I've, it's, it's it's another topic, but like Latinas and and maybe not wanting to mother because they were in in a way parentified growing up. Um, yeah. But then I love what you mentioned about authenticity because I was listening to one of your more recent episodes because you have a podcast on. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and you can plug it. What's the name? Uh, Chats with Yvonne. It's just Chats, Chats with, with Yvonne. Yvonne. Yeah. And I was hearing it was like your 2023 reflections about how you don't necessarily or sometimes we consider like putting on a persona, but it's really us and we don't have to create that division, which I thought was like an interesting concept, you know, because I think that part of my, let's say, healing and leaving corporate is reclaiming the parts of me that I felt like I let go of in those spaces. Um, But I like that idea like, well, maybe it's a a different version of me. I didn't show up fully, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't me as well you know yeah and and i think it's also it's that to me has been a really important realization or just reflection in my own life because on my platforms right i I talk a lot about the fact that i'm an introvert and i've never led with that necessarily because i've been in spaces where being an extrovert being louder being bolder is always seen Mm. as the more the, the the better option and for better or for worse, in my career, in my social, personal life, like I've always felt like I need to live up to that and be bolder, be louder, right? And so to some extent, you know, in the corporate space, I've always attempted to push myself. I'm like, okay, I'm going to raise my hand and say this mm. and I am going to wear this outfit and do that, right? And not that that wasn't part of who I was, but I knew that I was trying to make up for the fact that I thought being more reserved and an introvert was not a good thing, right? And so yeah. now it's it's about not only reclaiming the parts of myself that I let go, but almost amplifying the parts of me that actually are me, right? And not saying that that wasn't me, because I think to some extent they are now, right? They form part of who I am and how I move 
in the world, but it's been a, a really nice realization to think, okay, I wasn't being fake. That wasn't a fake version of me. It was just a version mm-hmm. of me that I needed for myself to feel comfortable in this unknown space. Mm-hmm. And you know, I like that because, I mean, you know, this podcast is about healing and awakening. And a big part of healing, I think, is not rejecting those parts of us that we no longer resonate with or embody, but instead like accepting them. So in a sense, I love the the reframe that you gave it because I was like, you know, in the past, like I mentioned, it was more like that wasn't me, like, here's me and I want to show up more fully. But I love actually accepting like that's who I needed to be to survive, essentially, right? And to be yeah. what I needed. And it's also a lesson, like it gave you contrast to like, okay, maybe that doesn't fully feel like me, what does, right? And you need to go through that to find the other. Yeah, and it's hard when you think that people now expect you to show up in a certain way, but you show Mm. up differently, right? And the the example Mm -hmm. of introversion versus extroversion, that's a very, you know, attaching labels to it. We're all made up of complex, we're complex human beings, right? So I'm simplifying it a lot, but... There are spaces where I show up more boldly, not because it's fake or it's not being me, but it's just like, okay, this is what it's calling for, right? But then I also think sometimes for me specifically, my healing around accepting that I am more reserved, that I am not always going to be the loudest or the most energetic is is realizing like, there are other people that expect the expectations, right? Sometimes that's the hardest. It's like, well, they've already seen me at my energetic. They've already seen me. They expect me to be this way because of the things that I have already done or said to them, right? It's almost like the world still hasn't caught up to the fact that I can be quiet. I can be more (laughs) reserved. But then when I go on stage, you might see a different version of Yvonne and that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe bringing it back to your childhood a little bit, where do you think you were, do you feel like you were introverted in both spaces knowing that you had to embody kind of a parental role? Or do you feel like you like kind of amplified a more uh, outspoken version of you being a parent figure? Like, where do you think you were you, let's say, growing up? Yeah, it's so funny because definitely at school, in social settings, always more reserved, more of the introvert. Okay. Uh, in Las Fiestas, right, I was the kid that had, in the cor- sitting in the corner, had a book. At the time, I remember I was mm. learning how to uh, crochet. So I had my little crochet. I had yarns and yarns of crochet, and I would just <laughs> sit there, right? While everybody was partying, I would do that. And everybody would always be like, oh, es bien callada tu hija, casi no habla, like trying to get me to talk. And I just wouldn't talk. Like it just, I didn't want to. It was a lot of energy to exude, right? Mm. But growing up, when I was at home, because oftentimes it was me and my siblings by ourselves, I was loud. I was like, no, go do this. Like I almost transformed, right? And it's interesting because even now, I think in my family, I do tend to be the louder one. It's almost like Mm. I feel like I'm the, not the entertainer, but to some extent, I'm like, I kind of have to be present. Like if I have to be present and let my presence be known type of thing, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, I don't know why, why that is, but uh, even today, like I still feel like, okay, my siblings, I got to ask what what they're up to, what they're doing. I have to give them my opinions, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes I have to be like, okay, Yvonne, chill for a little bit. You really aren't their parent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it has to do with being the eldest and like being parentified. You're kind of like a, 
not event coordinator, but like when there is oh more God, yes. people. <laughs> it's kind of like, how's everyone doing? How's mom doing? How, you know, like, and so likely that that's the part of you that's kind of catering to like the audiences, let's say, in that setting, you know? Exactly. Yes. I almost, it's like, it's so funny that you say that because I'm a public speaker, right? And you learn that everything is around catering to your audience. And that's literally how I, whether it's a good, for better or for worse, it's how I walk through life, right? It's like, how can I cater to the audience that's in front of me? And a lot of me is learning to understand myself within that and being like, well, actually, you know what? It's not always about your audience. How much, Mm. or it's a balance, right? It's like, yes, this is your audience. You care deeply about them. But at the same time, who are you and where do you stand within it? And I'm healing my yeah. people, people pleasing tendencies too. But so it's, it's so funny that you said that, you know, your audience. <laughs> I would love to know what you resonate with most, healing or awakening. And then when do you feel like was the first instance where you started to realize, oh, like there's something to heal or there's an awakening happening? I don't know that I have one moment where I was like, oh, I'm healing and, and awakening. But I think one that I, the one that I resonate the most with and only because I feel like it's the easier one for me to do <laughs> okay. is the awakening part. Like mm. I feel like from a very young age, I've always been very observant. It's in my nature, right? As an introvert to be really observant. And so because of that, I feel like I pick up on things. I pick up on people's cues, the cues that they give me. Um, mm. I, I respond to that well. And so being able to have all these pieces of information about others has allowed me to see pieces of information about myself that have led me to a better understanding of who I am and who I want to be. But the healing part is the part where sometimes I get stuck on it, right? Because there's so much of me that wants to just like, "Eh, it happened, it's fine, it is what it is, let me just keep Um. moving forward. I think that when I think about was there a moment, I don't, I can't pinpoint one, but I do think that when I went off to college and, I, you know, I, I'm from the Bay Area. At the time, my family lived in San Leandro, California, for those of y'all that are familiar with, with it. Mm-hmm. And I went to school at UC Berkeley, Berkeley, California. If you know, it's literally no more than like a 20 minute drive and with traffic, maybe a little bit more, but I didn't have a car. Uh, I didn't necessarily go home often and I realized it was because I loved my independence, right? I I loved, not only was I busy, but I I almost made myself busy. I was like, oh, I had two jobs and an internship. I joined this club, right? But to some extent, I was like, well, I just don't have time to go home. But I realized this is what it's like for me to feel independent, to know that I am staying up late and it's not the lights aren't bugging anybody else in the room like little things like yeah. that right or yeah. i get to wake up in the morning and only hear the sound of my voice and again not to say that it bugs me to hear anybody else's really but <laughs> i remember especially when i moved in by myself i was like wow quiet like i get to just mm-hmm. sit with my own thoughts and i just realized i i became more in tune with the fact that i have always been independent but that has meant me doing things on my own. It's meant me not asking for help. Whereas this form of independence that I was feeling came more from, wow, I really love and enjoy doing things on my own. And I've never experienced being able to be on my own and be alone, yeah. be not lonely, but just alone in my own space. And I, re- I think that's what really led me to being like, 
it is more about me, right? I can't say that I'm completely, you know, cured from all my people pleasing tendencies and all of that, <laughs> but it's like a lot of my life is also more about me now. And and I mm. I love that and I enjoy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Super cool. So you lived on campus, it sounds like, or, yeah. or in an apartment. My, well, my first semester, uh, I messed up. I accepted like loans on accident because I don't know what I was doing. I missed the application for... Uh, housing on campus so for the first semester I was commuting back and forth from classes and I would take like a two hour long bus drive to save money and whatever but my second semester I was like I gotta get it together because I can't do this right (laughs) so I learned more things and then I, I lived on campus ever the rest of my college career Okay, I see. I think like that subject is really or that topic is really important because I think since Latinos tend to be so like family oriented. They view being alone as something sad. I wonder mm-hmm. if you've gotten that before, right? Like um, they don't necessarily understand it as something to be happy about and enjoy. And so, as someone who also like I lived on my own in my own apartment for like eight years or something like that, like everyone was like, "Ay, qué triste, pobrecita, no tienes a nadie." <laughs> and I'm like, if you only knew how much I enjoy it, you know. So can <laughs> yes. you tell me about that, like? even embracing that can sometimes maybe be like a journey of its own, you know? Yeah, well, it's super interesting because, you know, I mentioned my mom was a single mom, right? She's also Mm -hmm. the youngest of seven. All of her siblings are way older than her. Uh, Las mujeres están casadas and they're married to the men that they've been married to since they were like really young. Um, Mm. My mom didn't didn't get married to my dad. You know, it was my mom was always the rebel of the family because she was the youngest. She came to the U.S. when she was 15. My grandma told her, don't do it. And she came anyway and she figured it out. And so it's interesting because I've never felt this tension around wanting or needing to be independent from my mom in particular. Okay. And... In not not in explicit ways, not in the ways that I felt it from other people, like from my tías, right? Like, oh, pero que vas a hacer sola? Que vas a comer? Blah, blah, blah. Because I think my mom, to some extent, is also like, well, I was the rebel of my family. Like, I did what I wanted to do. You guys go go do your thing. So when I graduated from college, my intention was to move, went back home. The pandemic happened. And then I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to stay here until I can you know, until it makes sense to live somewhere else. And then I finally moved, maybe two years or something. I was at home. And everybody around my mom was asking her, ¿Qué pasó? ¿Se pelearon? ¿Por qué se movió? ¿Ya no estaba a gusto? Like, blah, blah, blah. And my mom was like, no, she's just, she's just a person. She's a grown adult that needs to go and make, make her own life happen, right? And yeah. so... I've never felt this. I I think I've felt the attachment to my family more so now. Like when we were younger, it was very much like they can't function without me, right? Mm. Now it's almost like we're adults now. I mean, my brother is what, 20? How old am I? Yeah, my brother's like 24. And my sister is off to college now too. My mom's, it. uh, she's married, you know, has two dogs to keep her busy. You know, it's just kind of a different dynamic and I think for okay. a really long time I was holding on to the version of my family that existed when we were younger like yeah we do everything together my brother needs me my mom is working night shifts so I have to take care of my brother and make sure he does his homework right or 
oh, now my mom, my mom is working the night shift and has to go to the morning shift. So we have to be at school and hang out together early in the morning. You know, it was just like, I think for a really long time, I was holding on to that version of what my family dynamic had been, that when I yeah. moved out, I was initially really scared about leaving. I, I felt like I was leaving my family and that was really mm. hard for me. But again, I think the first week I was like, wow, this is so nice. And then knowing that my family too was okay. <laughs> like they're okay without me. Like I do not need to be there type of thing. Yeah. That's so important, right? Because the the flip side of it could be like your mom calling you constantly or making you feel guilty or like now who's going to help me with A, B, and C, you know? So C, I think C. that, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I am really lucky now in that my mom, when I turned I think around the time when I was going to college, she started going to therapy, right? She started doing work on herself to, and so like a lot of things I think she's aware of, right? She knows, even if she would love to, she probably knows not to call me complaining about something my brother did, <laughs> you know, which is kind yeah. of the dynamic. I think when we were at home, I would get annoyed at my brother because I was like, why are you doing, to that, my, doing that to my mom? Like, you know, all this stuff yeah. or, oh my God, why aren't you washing your dish? I'm like, I didn't need, that was something that I was like, I need to not do that. I'm not the parent. I don't, we're each grown adults, you know? So my mom, I think, um, because she's done the work on her own, we're, we're in a lot better place. Mm. That is amazing. That that makes me happy to hear. Usually, yeah. you know, who I bring on, like, that's n not necessarily the case. So it sounds like it's such a different experience when that happens on both ends, you know, because then it changes the dynamic without all of the friction maybe that can happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my, again, my mom lived, like, started living an adult life really early on too, right? And yeah. I, for a really long time, I was like, dude, why couldn't my mom just like not be a single mom? And like, I wouldn't have to be doing all this stuff. You know, I was like annoyed at it. But, you know, once you get old, well, once I got older, I started to see it more as like women have a hard time in this, like no matter what, mm. right? It's just hard out here. And um, my mom went through a lot of things and we as a family unit went through a lot of things that I think prompted her to say, oh yeah, I should probably go to therapy. And so I think mm -hmm. the years of, of therapy and self-work really, really helped and transformed our, our like entire fi family dynamic. I mean, yeah. we're not perfect, right? No, no, nobody is really, but. <laughs> yeah, no, but there's at least like awareness and mm -hmm. potentially like an intention of, not causing additional, let's say, trauma or harm, right? Like, yeah. at least there's maybe some, yeah, I think awareness is big because even that doesn't necessarily exist in a lot of households. So like with a lot of parental figures, I think you said awakening is more, is easier to lean into and then healing is a bit harder. What do you think is maybe that? Because I think like usually our journeys have themes. Would mm -hmm. you say like introvert versus extrovert is like the theme and in, and like, fully accepting who you are is it people pleasing like wh where do you see yourself like kind of coming back to a similar lesson so I have been in internal communications for a really long time and hear me out but in marketing they teach you right to, to capture your audience to do all the stuff you have to have a niche right you have to figure out what that niche is and you have to do it and do it often consistently 
because that's what you're going to be known for, right? And I mm. think a lot of my existence has been a lot of duality where I'm like, yes, I'm an introvert and, right? Like now I've learned I'm more of a social introvert where I love, like I love, I do actually love the engaging and talking to people, but I still need four to five business days afterwards to recover from it, <laughs> right? And so I think yeah. the theme of my life is being able to, exist within all the different parts of who I am and honor my different interests and be like, I'm an introvert, but there's also some part of me that has extroverted tendencies. Where those come from, I don't know, but I have to honor them, right? Or mm. yes, I'm super independent, but I also have to learn to ask for for help, right? And I, Or I'm super independent, but I can't say no to people, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. just, I, I feel like the theme of my of my entire life will always be to honor all of my interests, all the different, if you were to look at my, my resume, you're like, I could see how they're all related, but like, they're kind of, everything that I've done is pretty different, right? Or my style choices have just, sometimes I'll wear super, lots of color, other times I'll wear just all black, and I feel great in both of them. I feel you know, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I think yeah. being an introvert has allowed me this like deep, it's allowed me to always sit with myself and do a lot of deep reflection about what I'm seeing, what I'm observing, not only in the world, but in myself. And I hate that we always have to say, oh, I like this. This is what I do. This is what I'm known for. It's like, it doesn't leave room for, if I love running, it doesn't leave a lot of room for what if one day I want to pick up jump roping, right? Like I just, mm -hmm. so I don't know if that answers your question fully, but it's, I think, honoring all the different parts of just everything, like not, not yeah. being like, oh, I only do this or I only like this. It's like, I'm this and like, yes, and right. Mm -hmm. Like making space for duality, it sounds like in every aspect. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think it's just, I think it's so important. I think a lot of why I often feel so many, why I, when I don't know what to do is because I've said to myself, whether that's an external, because of an external factor or myself, I'm like, this is the way that it needs to be, that it should be, instead of allowing myself to just flow with whatever is supposed to be, right, for me in particular. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, oftentimes for me what causes this like tension between what I want and what I allow to happen uh going back to authenticity right being like this is the way it kind of should be or the way that I've done it before I've always said that I'm this what if I shift now is that going to be me being like fake to me like inauthentic to who I am <laughs> so it's yeah. just I yeah this just there's there's room for everything all at once to exist Mm, I love that. Yeah, my whole thing is authenticity. So I love how you're saying like there's room for it all. And one doesn't one side doesn't negate the other. And one thing that I think I've noticed, though, in in the process of embracing duality, sometimes you can lean really hard on one side or the other. The one maybe like maybe, uh, for example, for me, I was very corporate, right? Like very by the book, very policy, all of that. And then what I did over the last few years was like lean all the way to the other side, <laughs> quit corporate, intuitive, like e creative, right? And now in every journey, I think like there's this moment of recalibrating, like, okay, let's meet in the middle. The other one wasn't bad. This one's not the best. Like it's, it's, um, it was needed like to, for me to feel that distance. But now I'm like, okay, like 
processes and all of that also have their purpose you know do you feel like you went through a moment of that like one extreme to the other and now like do you feel like you're finding your balance or is that not the case Yes. I mean, 100%. I think especially I went into the corporate world right out of college. And so I found myself being very like, by the book, this needs to happen this way. Okay, I'm going to write this on my resume. I need to get this review from this person. Everything was really transactional, right? Mm -hmm. And that is outside of my essence. I am not that way. Like I remember sometimes why it physically felt so uncomfortable to do things, even things like public speaking or facilitating a meeting or a conversation was because, again, I felt like I needed to be more transactional with people and not tap into the person and like the real raw humanity of of us, right? The corporate world sometimes can feel like it asks you to do that. And so I think as I navigated through my career, I became softer in that way. And what what I mean is that is who I am and who I've always been in my life. But the corporate world felt like I needed to be a little bit more, all right, you did this. Okay, great. Have a meeting. What are we doing? Blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? Mm. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Amazing background. That's a lame thing to point out, right? But like <laughs> something yeah. like that, you know, it's just bringing yeah. humanity back into it. And I feel like now... I'm in a place too where, you know, I went to go get my my master's in business because I was like, there's no way that I'm in these rooms with people and there can't be a different approach to it, right? But I was like, but I can't propose it. I can't propose it because I know nothing about it. I mean, I know a lot because I've been in the industry, but I have to understand the foundations of what everybody else learned, the foundations of the foundations and the language of the knowledge that everybody else has acquired because only then will they take me seriously and saying Oh, okay, she knows what she's talking about. I'm wondering, like, is that something that you've healed or, like, understood that maybe that's not necessarily the case? Like, you don't have to, like, your your ideas are valid regardless? Or do you yeah. do you feel like you still feel that? that you oh, no. To... Okay. Yeah. Okay. 100%. I was like, oh, I knew what I was talking about all along. And then what it made me realize was that it wasn't necessarily that I needed more knowledge. It was that I just needed a different language. Right, like I needed to be able to speak their language and have them understand what I was saying. And not to the point of changing the way that I speak or changing the vocabulary words that I wouldn't typically use, but more so speaking to the things that they would care about. I believe in meeting people where they are, right? And so I would hope that someone extends the same grace to me often, right? But what what I mean by that is if I feel like I have something additional to say or I have a quote better idea right it's not my my job to convince you of the knowledge that I have or the idea that I have it's really more so about meeting you where you are on that particular day like this is what I mean when I say bringing the humanity back to back to what feels very transactional right it's Mm. like maybe you're not in a headspace to listen to me right now but then tomorrow you might be right so I I find that Tapping into that first, tapping into the human side of things first, always, I feel like I didn't start off that way because I felt like I couldn't. And now I've gained a lot of confidence in my knowledge and confidence in what I know that now I can disregard that, not disregard it completely, but I don't have to worry so much about, oh my God, do I know this? Am I... Like, do I know what I'm talking about? I can just focus on the how, like how I communicate with people and how I, how I connect with them, if that, if that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think like as first gens, a lot of what we do is learning as we go and we're kind of like observing, especially if you're an observer, right? Like you observe and then you're like, oh, this is what I need. But like, I think we take in a lot because you know, there's a lot of things that we have to learn on our own, right? And so, like, existing in a corporate space, I think, like, we we see it. And I see it, I like, what you're talking about. And I'm going to tie it to something that you talk about, too. You talk about public speaking as an art. So I see that as art. Like, when you're learning something creative, a new, like, hobby, first you observe and you replicate, right? So, like, okay, these are the tools. This is how I use them. And then you start small, but you, like, follow directions, let's say. Then you start to get so comfortable with the tools and the the art, whatever it is, that you start to create and embed, like, yourself into it. And, like, it comes from a different space. So that's what it's sounding like. Like, now you own... One, your own knowledge, your own expertise, and now you get to play, right? Now you get to kind of like mend both worlds. Exactly. Yes. And and actually, one of the things that I've learned in the process and that I recommend to people now is oftentimes, to your point, you'll, you'll say, hey, go watch a couple of TED Talks or go watch a couple of people speak and pay attention to what they do and how they move across the stage and all those things and try to implement that into your speaking and over time actually like when I talk to people about public speaking I was like gosh I wish that I didn't do that in the beginning I Mm. wish that I kind of just went with what was most with with who I was in my speaking at the time got confident in that and then went to go do research and look at people right because I'm not only an overthinker but I think we naturally will compare ourselves to people right and so if we say hey oh wow now I I feel like I have to move like that what does that do to the essence of of us as people and as speakers is starting you know starting with the comparison we're going to do the comparison anyway no matter what really but I think if we start with it that's that's almost even more impactful than if we were to say, hey, let me just, you know, it just, it just, I think I recommend, I always tell people, just tell me, just go talk, like do your thing, mm, right? And yeah. then we go into the foundations of things because it's like, yeah, take this simple structure and remix it and make it your own because now you know what making it your own feels like and sounds like, like you're not trying oh. to be like that. You're, you're you already you're just adding some best practices to to it yeah that's the that's the hard part I think I, I'm like listening to and I'm like okay so I'm not the only one I think like it's like it was inevitable for us to do that but thankfully like now we're reclaiming you know I think like with anything new you're trying to do it right you know especially if you're perfectionist and people pleasing like you want to do it right and so at least I like collected you know like references and like just different things of like how are other people doing it but I totally get you and I think like even let's say an artist going back to art like if someone is from the get-go not trusting their own like connection to whatever it is that they're trying to dabble into who knows they might have had such a different way to connecting with that that it would have been like something so unique and like great and like new right but instead they maybe started off copying and so it's like it's kind of like going backwards like a u-turn to like okay now let's go back to who you are and how you want to connect with that thing 
Yeah, and like I'll I'll even relate it back to my to like family dynamics, right? I am the oldest and I was the first to go to college. I got good grades all the time. I was your typical good student, right? And so my brother, while not, you know, not knowledgeable, like he he's smart, right? He just didn't do his homework, right? So therefore, because he didn't do his homework, he didn't get good grades. Like and there was always this comparison of ah, Yvonne mm. Yvonne gets good grades, oh this or my little sister, right? Oh, Yvonne went to this school. Like I now, now that I know this about myself and I know that my process for a lot of things, right? Because it's first gen, you start doing things on your own. My process for everything pretty much that I did was how did other people do it first? Let me go research and do that and then see if I can figure it out from my point of view, right? But I'm like, how much more powerful and how much more quickly would I have landed on my own essence and my own power and confidence if I started with me first, right? If the Mm -hmm. first person that I looked for for guidance or anything was me. And so I think even that comparison, right? Like if we do, we know what it's like maybe to some capacity to be compared to maybe our siblings or the cousin that did this or does that. And we know that that doesn't feel good. So like, why would we continue to do it to ourselves, right? And again, easier said than done, but I, I, I believe that. Yeah. Ooh. Comparison is, I mean, it's beautiful though that you recognize it now. And I see that too, like with my sister, it's like, they have their own beauty. They have their own like essence. And like, unfortunately, maybe even our parents were replicating, okay, what is a good parent, parental figure? Like, well, that your, your kids are doing good in school. So in a way they also fell to the, in the same trap as we did, you know, um, yeah (laughs) it's cool to see the generations like changing though yeah i think and i hope like it allows more people to flourish into who were they they were supposed to be from the beginning right like instead of Mm -hmm. that being a reclaiming process as a and instead something like where they get to do that from a, a much younger age i see it in you know you mentioned your younger sister you said Mm hmm. Mm hmm. My sister, there was a time there was one moment in particular where I realized like she's in a way different place than I was. And it's a better place. Right. Mm. Like I was in her room. I was visiting from uh, coming back from my place. I was visiting home. I was in her room because now when I'm home, I don't have a room. Right. So I was in her room <laughs> hanging out and she what did she do? I was in her room and she was like, hey, Yvonne, can you please get out of my room? And I was like, um, no, like, you can't tell me what to do. And she's like, please, I just, she's like, I don't feel like talking right now. And I was like, my wow. initial thought, like, my thought process was like, who the, who does she think she is right now? Like, you can't be closing no doors here, right? And I checked, I had to check myself and, like, put my ego aside and yeah. put what I had learned, the immediate response to that should be, and be like, okay. I'll be, I'll be outside if you need me. Right. And, and I remember thinking like, I don't want to be one of the reasons that she has to, to your point, reclaim her boundary or learn boundaries. Right. And she's expressing a boundary to me right now, as annoyed as I may feel, because I feel like it's a personal attack on me. It's not right. And I need to respect it and honor it because I want her to know the difference in the rest of her life when someone is respecting her boundary and when they're not. And if at home I'm not, you know, as a, as her older sister, if I'm not allowing her to explore that part of her, like her setting that boundary, 
how am I going to expect that she'll do it later? And I'm like, shoot, I'm even struggling with it. I struggle with setting boundaries myself. So like that was a beautiful example of what should be and how I would hope someone would react to it. Right. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that it's, it's, it's really beautiful to see the generations kind of shifting their thinking around it. Right. I, I think about yeah. only because it's, you know, my mom, my sister, and then, I mean, myself and then my sister, it's kind of like three generations of what I consider to be just different. And every generation just gets a little bit better and a little bit more healed and awakened. Yeah. Okay. That same scenario, can we like peel the layers a little bit for those that are listening to maybe like call out, like if they don't understand why, for one, it's important that you didn't allow your trigger to get the best of you. So let's say, for example, so she's expressing she doesn't want to talk. I think I see awareness there, right? What else do you, like, what do you see in that expressing that? Knowing that it's not a good or a bad thing to not want to talk. Like to me, it initially I almost felt offended because I was like, what do you mean you don't want to talk to me, right? Mm. And it was it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with what she was feeling in the moment. So just really aware of her feelings, but also able to to speak them to out To express loud. it. And, yeah, and like feel yeah. comfortable enough to, to do it. Or maybe not, who knows, but just doing it anyway. Yeah, and then like on your end, I think like what we can say is, for example, you getting triggered by it or potentially offended could in the like subconsciously or unconsciously it could be that you remember that you were never allowed to say something like that let's say right like that that wasn't there wasn't space for that for you and so that's why it's triggering like how dare she right when i never got to yeah and i think that unconsciousness sometimes happens with our parents or the people that we're trying to establish boundaries with like the way that they react to it isn't a hundred percent about us it's also about how they relate to what they're hearing right Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and yeah. to some extent, I, I, again, I always felt like her second mom. So because mm. I had adopted mm. this role of mother figure for better, or for worse in her life, I was like, oh, hell no. Right. Because I thought <laughs> that's how parents react. Right. Like, we're not going to give yeah. you a personal space. Like, what do you mean? Right. And so yeah. I, I've even talked to her before because I, I've felt it very important for me to communicate to her. I feel like your mom sometimes, right? Like I've said that to her. I'm like, I feel like your mom sometimes, but I'm really not. So like, do what you want, right? Like I'm going to guide you in certain things, but like, I'm not your mom. <laughs> and I've almost yeah. said that out loud to her just to reinforce it for, for me. yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a reminder. <laughs> yeah. So in your journey, what do you think is like, the motor behind it. It seems like you've noticed different things, like you're very observant. Is that something that like drives where you feel like you need to work on next? Has it been therapy? Has it been books? Like what has been the underlying force behind your personal like healing or awakening? Conversations. I, I've been to therapy a handful of times, but I, I can't say that I've given it my all. I've read a couple books, but I can't say that I've fully internalized them, right? I think it's sort okay. of, or I've gone to motivational speeches and I'm like, cool, I feel real inspired. And then I'm like, don't apply any of it. And so I think that a lot of my awakening or like what I what I know to be true about myself and how it's just one over, I'm, I overanalyze things. And so that means I also over not overanalyze myself and it's almost just like Mm. 
not only love for humanity, but conversations, right? So in my conversations with my friends, I feel like I watched my mom live a lot of things. And I, uh, as an observer of those things, I made and drew my own conclusions. And whether that meant I I observed them and internalized them as my own or observed them and was like, "Mm, I don't, I want to do things a little different. Right. Or Mm. sometimes I feel like I've just been able to observe behavior and then kind of learning from other people. Because again, I've always been pretty shy, reserved. So I don't share a lot about myself, but I see other people sharing stuff about themselves. So I think that a lot of what has played a role in the way that I see myself within the world is these conversations, right? Like Mm -hmm. having conversations with my people, having conversations with other people, hearing conversations between other people. I I don't, it's been, again, I go back to the humanness of everything. Like I haven't read fully about it. I can't tell you, hey, this is exactly what's happening in my brain when this happens. I haven't, I've been to therapy, but not enough to be able to say this is exactly why I know why this is happening. It's just Mm -hmm. sort of, I understand that there's duality in a lot of things and that the way that I am reacting to something or the way that I've lived something, it it, it always is tied to something else. Like everything is interconnected. And that I think is what centers me in understanding, okay, Vaughn, sit down with yourself. Like, where could this possibly be coming from, right? And then in the moment, then I'll go and do like research just to understand it. But I think, yeah, just conversations and people and my love for humanity. So beautiful. (laughs) And knowing that the theme is duality, what do you think has been the hardest, what aspect of duality has been the hardest to embrace? Yeah, I think I will relate it back to being an introvert extrovert, right? In the workplace, I've always shown up a little bit more extroverted because not only in the roles that I've been in, right? They've been more uh, front-facing, meaning I have led company-wide meetings. I'm on stages like talking to people, right? And so my job is quite literally to connect with people, understand them so that I can better communicate with them, right? In internal communications. And that has made it so that folks see me as this like light of energy, this like huge person in the room, just talking to everybody, gets along with everybody, right? And it's been interesting because on the other end of things, right, that is me when I'm very much in my like job mode. But then when, when I go and interact with people one-on-one, I just overthink it a lot more. I'm like a little bit more shy. And I tell people, I'm like, no, it's just, I'm a little bit more of an introvert. Like you don't seem like it. You don't really, you really don't seem like it. And I think hearing that has often made me think uh, just about how I show up again, right back to the authenticity piece. But when I, when I think about existing as myself, as an introvert, and then existing within the world of an extrovert, like those two things are still me, right? But it's been difficult to have other people accept that those two things can be me at the same time. I see. That's what's been really hard. That's, that's what's been more, even harder for me and what I think doesn't allow me to fully embrace both of those as being who I am. It it makes me feel like I have to keep them separate. That's a reflection of what I think we're heading towards in the future. Like breaking out of the boxes, sometimes it's hard because you're 
people are trying to put you back in one or the other, right? And so even if you're embracing it and you're showing people, no, it can be both. And like, I can, I can actually sit here and tell you I'm an introvert and that doesn't take away from what I do. When I'm speaking, people are like confused, like, wait, 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 no, no, no. You have, <laughs> and so I think that. that's yeah. part of, yeah, that's part of like, leader like leading into the future it's like breaking out of those boxes and then also making it okay to not fit in one or the other and holding space for people who can't fathom that right in the in the like in the journey of that it's kind of like it's okay and you're kind of having to um yeah like walk them through that the same journey maybe that you went through right like that it doesn't have to be one or the other yeah it's like not only is it okay but like most of us are like this Right. Mm. Like, I feel like we like to for the purposes of knowing things and being like, yep, checking things off. We like to see things as this one way. And then the definition that we get from that one particular moment is what we go and run with. Right. But then when we look inwards and we're like, damn, I feel people I wish people knew this about me. I wish people knew that I also exist in this way. So it's like at the same time that I'm thinking, hey, can you see me for both of the things? That person is also wanting me to see them for both of the things because I've also already probably made my own idea of who they are within the world and how they exist and walk in the world, right? So it's like yeah, in those moments, calling that thing out and being like, yeah, I am. I am an, a little bit of an extrovert. I can be social, but really to my core, I'm an introvert. And that's cool. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It just is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Getting more comfortable with calling that out so that other people can feel comfortable and being like, oh, okay, so it does make sense that I love people and I love doing this and going on stages, but that I also am pretty reserved. It, it, those two things make sense together. So I was like, we yeah. have to accept that they make sense together and say them out loud so that other people can also make sense of it together. I think that's what's interesting about like accepting duality within yourself, but then understanding and being able to accept that from others too, you Mm -hmm. know? So yeah, understanding that others can also then be really happy and giggly one day and then not the next, right? (laughs) And be okay with that and not make it about you. Exactly. Or tell me to get out of the room and I should be be okay with that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So in part two, we're going to talk more about public speaking, how you came into that. And um, so maybe just to wrap up part one, what is one of your favorite healing or mindful tools? I don't know if running counts as one, um, mm-hmm. but I find the like the entire process of running to be extremely healing, not only to my own body, it just like tunes me into what my body is actively doing and how I'm breathing while I'm running, but also just Mm. my surroundings, right? Like I experience things a lot deeper when I'm running. And at first it kind of started off as a, I'm training for this marathon thing. Like I have a goal to look for, but then it just became part of what I did and something that I really needed. And I didn't know, Mm. I was always, athletic but I didn't know that running long distance was actually what was going to bring me that much joy and it it just one cleared my mind and it almost allowed me to talk to myself right it's like Mm -hmm. you know you're when you're in your office space or anything else you talk to yourself all throughout if you don't it's fine I do I do it all the time (laughs) yeah but running I don't listen to music when I run often so it's just me and the sound of my breath and 
looking at people and the cars coming by. It just is a, it's a beautiful experience to know that I'm healing my body, having these internal conversations with myself and that the world keeps going. Like people are walking by me, the cars are passing by and it's just running in itself is just a beautiful reminder of that. And I think it's, it's done a lot for my mental health, for my physical well-being and for, for my heart in more ways than one. I had never thought of it that way. Like, does it, it kind? Of, it feels like kind of like a trance. It sounds like where like you get to, yeah, get into like this mode. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and everything about it. Like, I just yeah, everything about it is even the sometimes when you don't feel like doing it, right? It's it's. Mm. I always say that the things that I don't regret having done are like eating good food, traveling, and going on a run, right? Like, I never. Mm. It's always hard to get there. It's hard to say, okay, let me put my running shoes on. Let me go out to the track and let me run. That part is hard. But once I get started and once I get into the movement of it, I never regret having done it. And I think that's a lot of what, you know, even journaling sometimes. I like to journal. And every time I journal, I'm like, that felt so good. But it's hard to get to a point where I make it a habit, right? Running has almost been easy for me to pick up and make a habit. And I I think that's why it's been so transformative for me. Mm. Well, that leads to my next question. So it might be the same answer. A a habit that you do for yourself every day. (laughs) Coffee. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, it's so... A lot of my, a lot of people will tell you in the running space, right, it's probably easier or better to get your run-ins in the morning, like really early in the morning because it's almost perfect weather. The sun hasn't gone up. It's not peak hours. It's not terribly cold depending on time of season. But something that I've learned about myself is that I wake up really early. So it's not a matter of I can't wake up to go running, but it's a matter mm-hmm. of accepting that at one, every single day one of my mornings is going to be different because I I can't say that I have a morning routine. I'd be freaking lying to you if I said, mm. I wake up in the morning and then I grab my journal and journal. Like that is not, I do it sometimes, right? Yeah. And it, it's beautiful when I do. But a lot of what my mornings consist of is me just going with the flow. And I think I need that at the very top of my morning and not saying hey I have to go on that run or I have to go to the gym or I have to start working on that email Mm -hmm. so that's a habit that I've started to implement is not having a habit in the morning and just going with the flow like say okay I literally envision let me wake up it's quiet put my robe on go downstairs make my coffee if I know a lot of people will be against this but like if I feel like scrolling on my phone I'm going to scroll for a little bit while my coffee is being made. If I feel like picking up the book that I left off at, let me pick that up. Like I just kind of go with whatever feels good to me in that moment. And that has been a really good habit because the rest of my day is so structured. Like the rest of my Mm. everything else is just work. (laughs) So like it's been nice to have a morning where I just go with the flow and not have a super strict morning routine other than just do what feels good. Oh, I love that. Slow mornings, essentially, like slow, intuitive. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. What is a favorite song you listen to when you need to feel inspired? Oh my gosh. So many. Um, I have one that I always go back to and it's I Was Here by Beyonce. I don't know if you've heard it, but Mm. I really love that song. And it's when I was younger, I had a notebook where we would practice, you know, that S 
that everyone, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> With the little houses, you're like, you draw the green yeah. lines and the house, all stuff, right? Okay. Yeah. So all of my pages had that, right? I was like, okay, <laughs> why? What What was that? Like, I would like to go back and understand like, why did I, why I even start writing that, first of all? It was And why everywhere. do we only know one letter? I, or yes. S and O. That's the only two, <laughs> two letters I knew. Exactly. I was like, okay, it was literally all over. And I didn't even, I didn't know if it, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it stood for. I just knew everybody was doing it. So I was like, ooh, I want to learn how to do that. So it was yeah. everywhere. And then another thing that I would write was I was here, like W-U-Z um, here. Oh. And I would write when I was practicing uh, writing on the whiteboard. Because I, growing up, I wanted to be a teacher. So I would practice writing mm. on the whiteboard. It's like, I want my handwriting to be nice. So I would type, I would write, I was here. Then I just started typing and, you know, pranking, quote unquote, pranking my teachers and putting, I was here and then signing Yvonne on the little whiteboards, like a little small thing in the corner, just that Ooh, they knew. creepy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, what the heck? All of my notebooks right next to the S had like, oh, I was here type of thing. I don't know why I chose that phrase mm. to practice my my writing. Yeah. Um, but then I listened to, to Beyonce's I Was Here, and it kind of all, it was like a full circle moment for me because that wow. song just talks about like, I was here and I made some type of impact, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I had a good life and I made an impact. And I think that always just resonates with me because at the end of the day, that's what, that's what it is for me. It's like, I want to know that I did something good. Like in my time here, there was something that I did and it doesn't even have to be attached to my name. Like it doesn't have to be known as being me who did it. It's just like, mm -hmm. I made the world just a little bit better by existing. <laughs> and so cool that you've been manifesting or like let's say just yeah calling it you know in since since you were little yeah that's yeah. exciting to see how that transforms you know as you go about your life yeah I don't think I've ever I haven't like thought about that in a while either <laughs> wow do you still do that at any in any point or do you have it like in your wall or something I know I should write like I was here right yeah yeah um, no but I, I find myself writing little things like on obviously I think a lot of us do in our in our notebooks and stuff and I will always practice like my signature I don't know I don't know what it is about mm. just having it written down but um I should I should like print that out somewhere <laughs> yeah what is a favorite quote or advice that you refer back to I don't know the entirety of it, but it's, uh, I watched Coach Carter, uh, so I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, but uh, the scene where they quote the, it's not, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who are we to be great? Actually, who are we not to be? I think that quote, I actually had that printed out in, on my planner for many, many years, um, and I think the reason for it, again, going back to the duality of existing as an introvert in an extroverted world and being almost afraid, especially as a first gen kind of in my lived situation, not wanting the spotlight to be on me because I was like, I don't want people to know what's going on in my house, like all of that kind of stuff. Mm. It's like for a lot of a lot of the time we dim our light and we're like, we're more scared of being in the spotlight and being known for our for our passions and for what we bring to the world than we are for existing within that dark space and like it's almost more comfortable to be a little bit you know shy or more reserved than it is to 
own a lot of who we are and what we're capable of. So that quote I've always resonated with. A feel-good or powerful book or movie that you like to watch? I've always really liked Grease. It's really random, but it's also one of the only... Growing up, my mom had a... She had this box that she came home with. She used to be a janitor. She had this box that she came home with that they had given her, and one of those was a VHS version of Grease or something like that. So it was like the one movie that I watched all the time. So I don't even know if I like it that much as much as as more like I was used to seeing it. Uh, yeah. But I always like going back to Greece. I know like every single word of it because I watched it. It was like the only movie we had at the house. <laughs> so Aww. I watched that. Um, that and Pinocchio. <laughs> mm, okay. Have you watched the new one? Like the stop, what is it called? Stop motion? One? Yes, I watched it. Yeah. Did you like it? It was good. I mean, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Probably also because of the ties I have with it from my childhood. Yeah. yeah. And it was by a Mexican producer, director. Yeah. It's um, yeah. Del Toro. Was it Del Toro? Si. 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 Yeah. 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 It was super cool. I love so. learning about that. Yeah. And then my last question is, what is maybe advice or like for those for those fellow first gens who are listening, what message would you like to share with them? Given that we're talking about duality, I think my message is to lean into those interests that are calling your name, even if it doesn't fit into your plan, even if you think that it's not what you're supposed to do, because that may actually be the thing that not only heals you but also heals like generations and is probably also what could potentially make you be financially stable right like there's so many ways to explore being quote-unquote successful so just allow yourself to lean into those things more often even when they feel not right (laughs) yeah oh i love that yeah be willing to jump out of whatever box you feel like you need to stay in and then see what Where that goes ah well thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your story with us today and i'm so excited to see how it kind of ties into now what you do and and how you're stepping into your own light so those of you listening make sure that you uh stick around for part two and other than that first gen please share this with your amigas amigos amigas if you feel like you they would find this helpful remember that i love me i love you and i can't wait for you to love yourself okay bye that's so cute i love that (laughs)